Hey guys, you are now listening to the Maranatha House podcast. So we're in Hebrews 10. We've been going through Hebrews the last couple months. Okay. Um, does anybody remember what uh, Hebrews 9 was uh, on last week? Two weeks ago. Sorry. Come on, Cam. I thought, I thought you would know. What's Hebrews 9 on? The holy place and the most holy place. Right. As I look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? The holy place we, and the most holy place. What are, because the holy place, only um, priests would go in there and they would um, think, do rituals in their priestly duties uh-huh. in the holy place. And the most holy place, only the high priest would go in there. Um, and that was entering the presence of God. Yep. Um, and it's, it also talks about through Christ's death specifically because the um, the veil that separated the holy place uh-huh. and the most holy place was torn. Torn, yep. From after top to he bottom. gave up the ghost. Yeah. And so now, not just symbolism, but how we get to enter into the presence of God. Yeah. And one, we don't need like someone else to do it for us. Right. But how Jesus is our high priest. Yeah. Yep. Very well done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I actually went back and did like a whole review on the whole book to try to like uh, categorize it all in my mind because after doing 10 chapters, it's really easy to look back and go, what the heck was chapter three about? What was chapter four about? And I've been trying to review it as much as possible so it stays fresh, but. Um, the whole book about uh, of Hebrews is talking about how Jesus is the better version of what was yeah. given to us in the Old Testament and how the New Covenant is better than the Old Covenant. Mm-hmm. That God is doing a new thing that uh, trumps what was done in the, the past. Yeah. Um, so um, chapters 1 and 2 talk specifically about how Jesus is better than the angels. Um, we've talked about why that was such a big deal because Jewish people really thought that uh, angels were a big deal because the angels were the ones who gave the Torah to them yeah. on the mountain. It was given to them by angels. Uh, obviously, it was from God, but the angels were the, the mediator. Uh, but Jesus is a better mediator. What's really funny to me is that we have like two angels, Michael uh-huh. and Gabriel. Uh-huh. They have like eight. That are named. Oh, right. Named angels. Yeah. Wait, so the only angels that we as Christians know about are... Those two nah, well, that's that Cam saying generally like speaking. Ones. Okay, these are the ones that are like I don't named. know much about angels. Yeah, I'm still learning. Just a lot thought they're about terrifying angels. looking, apparently. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those animations with the eyes and yes. everything. Uh, that's crazy. I don't know how accurate that is actually, but Maybe. it's supposed Fairly. to be biblically accurate. Fairly. So, um, which chapter are we on? Sorry. We're on chapter 10. We are on 10. Yeah, so I, and I'm Christ just going back through. Only one time. Only one time. Only one time. <laughs> one time. Chapter 3 talks about how Jesus is an apostle better than Moses. He's a better leader than Moses was. 
Um, chapter 4 talks about how Jesus is better than Joshua. And uh, chapter 5 through 7 talks about how Jesus was better, a better priest than Aaron. Uh, and then chapter 8 through 10, well, chapter 7 also talks about how Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Y'all remember Melchizedek? He's a fun guy. Melchizedek shows up one time in the Old Testament in uh, Genesis. And he's just a intense name. Yeah. He shows up twice. He's also in Well, yeah. But physically, he shows up historically once. But, uh, yeah, it just basically gives tithes and offerings, or uh, Abraham gives tithes and offerings to gotcha. this guy who's called a king and a priest. He's the only one of his kind, and Jesus is in that line. So, um, really crazy uh, stuff. Um, so now we're in through chapters 8 through 10, which now talks about a better covenant. So like I said, uh, chapter 9 talks specifically about the better sanctuary, the better he- heavenly tabernacle. And we talked about that two weeks ago. Um, and then today what we're going to talk about is how uh, Jesus is the better sacrifice. Better than all the Old Testament sacrifices, he is the best sacrifice out there. Um, the Hall of Faith is 11. Hall of Faith is 11, right. Yep. Yeah. So we're almost to the Hall of Faith. That's going to be a fun one. The second half of chapter 10, so starting from like verse, verse 18 through the end, um, it begins to talk. The book goes into a mood of like practical application. Mm-hmm. So the first like 10 chapters, 10 and a half chapters are all theology, helping the, these <clears throat> Jewish Christians, Messianic Christians, who were turning back to Judaism, He's trying. The writer is trying to inspire them to stay Christians. Don't go back to Judaism. This is not good, and that's going to have a lot of context. So, chapter ten is kind of a hard chapter. Um, there's a lot of verses there that make you go, "Huh?" <laughs> and I will say that I I've heard a lot of these verses without any of the context, and it's caused me to like really doubt certain things in my own life or like my faith because these verses were shared without context and so we want to make sure that we're reading these verses in context of the whole book not just what one verse says cool you can't be, you can't be taking scripture out of context. right you can't take scripture out of context and you can't add into it what you think it should say or what you think it might be saying you have to take it for what it's trying to say so uh, let's let's read. I, can I get two people to read for me? All right. So Cam, I want you to read one through eighteen, and then Ariel, you have drawn the long straw. You got nineteen through thirty-nine. Dang, <laughs> hey, girl. Okay. Uh, That's only twenty verses. I cooked her a hot dog, and she's got some crackers. So whenever she's ready, just so you know. Yeah. You said one to eighteen. One through eighteen. Yes, sir. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ comes into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. 
And I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good work, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversary. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, This is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle of suffering. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those who so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but his righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. It's a long chapter. Yeah. And uh, I don't know about y'all. Did anybody feel like they had a verse that came up that you said, that doesn't sit right with me, or feels kind of intense? Yeah, verse 26. Yeah. I was like, mm. Yeah. Mm. 
That's that, that's a big one. We'll get to it, and I'm going to show you. It's a lot simpler than we think. It's just we're used to reading without context, and once we add in context, it's going to make a lot more. Yeah. All right. So let's go back to chapter one. Well, let's go back through one through four and just talk about what what do we see here in chapter one through four or verses one through four. It's like I know, yeah, I know yeah. Hebrews is built on their fours and fours and since then, but we, have to... we are not going back through chapter one through four. <laughs> I think. Wait, what was the question? Just what stands out? Okay. Yeah. Sort of the idea that the way things were done before are inferior in that the sacrifices were given for the sins that were committed, mm-hmm. but it's not sanctifying people such right. that they would no longer commit sin. Yeah. And even that the sacrifices reminded them of the sins that they right. committed each year. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that uh, either two weeks ago or one of these times, but that we always think about the reminder of just like, oh, I have to go sacrifice an animal for my sins. But the, there's also more reminder that there were dead animals all over the place. You know, the blood was like a stain, the, the Holy of Holies. And so like there was a daily reminder, yes, like we, I know I need to go sacrifice this animal, but you could smell it in the air. Manhattan, it's like you could smell it in the air, like the stench was there. And that's crazy. Uh, so I'm glad you like pulled that out and like the the old way of doing things what does it mean by it being a shadow what's a shadow huh yeah yep this is all refresh like a copy of but a very vague right a faint outline yeah 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 and actually it's really interesting uh the word there for shadow, the first word for shadow there is like a fuzzy image is what it means. But then it talks about not the very image of those things halfway through verse one. And that very image, that image word actually means like an exact replica. So it's saying this thing was a fuzzy picture of the good things to come. uh, And it was not the perfect image of what was to come. So, I think that's really cool. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I liked what you said, Ariel, too, about the, the, the sacrifices, because they were continually offered, meant something wasn't working. Like, it wasn't sanctifying people. You know, it, it was barely covering, you know. Uh, and... Uh, I heard it talked about that like Yom Kippur is the day that like the the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies for the sake of the whole nation and do like the one big like sacrifice and uh, sprinkle the blood on the uh, on the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, so uh, they would the priest would go in there and like actually sacrifice something. Yeah, he would. Well, he would take like a basin of blood, like it's a huge bucket of basically like five gallon bucket of blood of like a cow or an oxen or something. Yeah. 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 It's like a death metal video. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but so, but every time he did that, it wasn't that 
he took away the sins of the whole nation and then they accrued a bunch more for the next year. It was more so that he did just enough to push the debt to get like an extension date on the payment for the debt they owed. Meaning they had to go in the next year to go do the same thing. It just yeah. kept pushing it back and never ended. Uh, yeah, literally. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, so yeah, it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. These are animals that are going unwilling, uh, not in obedience, but they are being forced to go and like being killed. It's like their blood doesn't mean much. It barely covers. They're also uh, inferior because they're not human. Right. Exactly. So. Let's uh, let's go back through five through uh, five through ten. And uh, what what stands out to y'all there? First of all, okay, the reference to songs. Now, this is kind of unrelated, but I have started reading three songs and a proverb every morning. Yeah. And so when I this is actually I think this comes from the song forty. And I think I read that yesterday, mm-hmm. and I also reread Hebrews 10 yesterday, yeah. so I was like, okay, refresher. Uh-huh. And I read that, and I was like, wait, what? That's in the song I read this morning. Yeah, yeah. That was really exciting. Yeah. Like, to be able to see that. Which one is the restaurant? Uh, straight. Yeah. 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 And so that was really exciting. So really, the thing that jumped out to me was, like, the reference to songs. Yeah. Um, Did you notice... What was different between yeah. the two? Because I was like, that's, so when I read it, I'm just like, that sounds just like the song, except I'm like, if you don't say that in the song, right? If you don't say that. But so I actually then flipped back to Psalm 40 uh-huh. to reread it, and I did see the difference. But it's also funny because I read the Psalm 40 first uh-huh. before reading Hebrews 10. Yeah, yeah. And so I, when I read that section, I was like, it sounds like Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I did notice the differences. Like in Psalm, it says something about giving an ear instead of um, "but a body you have prepared for me." It yeah. mentions something about giving an ear to. I can't remember. What You've I opened up my ears. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. So this is this is something that can potentially be a troubling verse. Especially for people who are critics. You okay? Okay, cool. I'm sorry, the way you were looking at me, I thought you wanted something. I needed something. <laughs> sorry. Uh, so, this is a verse that can be easily taken by critics because what it appears like is that the writer is quoting something from the Old Testament, but he's adding in his own flavor, right? He's adding in his own wording. And, I mean, if you read... The book of Revelation, what does the end of Revelation say? Anyone who adds to this word, you know, like, the, or takes away from it, I can't remember what exactly it says, but it's not good. <laughs> so this is something that, as, like, Christians, we should be looking into. Why this apparent, uh, not contradiction, but why is he misquoting it? I, there's a couple different uh, concepts I've heard of, so... Uh, but the one I I seem to like, um, the in the the 
Psalms passage, the original Psalm, where it talks about, you have opened up my ears to listen. The word opened means to dig. And uh, it's actually um, similar to like the reference of like how a bondservant became a bondservant. Um, so what a bondservant, how a bondservant became a bondservant was usually they were already serving a family and like the indentured servant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were like an indentured servant, so they served a certain amount of time and then they were free to go. But some would become a bondservant of their own free will and free choice. And so what they would do, they'd say, I want to stay here and serve you because I love this family. And so they'd commit themselves to them. So they'd go to the doorpost of the home and the master would come in and take a, a ice pick. They call it an awl. It's like a wood, wood tool. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's just a nail. And he just drives it through the ear and then into the doorpost. And so then that servant would wear like an earring signifying that I belong to this family. Um, I feel like the taking it out of the doorpost would be real. Yeah. Painful. All right. Yeah. All right. <sighs> So it's a well, really that interesting. That may be why it's not actually a nail. Right. It gets driven through, and then you can leave it in the doorpost, maybe. Whereas a nail, in the way that we think of it, it's got the, it's got the head. Yeah. Like but maybe the tool that they used didn't have a head. Like yeah. yeah. It it was basically like a woodworking tool, is what it was. Yeah. But it it looks like a nail. It's just a a pick. Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> what do you want, Jeffy? So. Paul and John in the Old Testament talk about this like many times becoming a bondservant of Christ and it's this idea that like you're willfully giving of your own life to something else something that's greater and so it's a really cool potential reference for what that means but when it comes to Hebrews why does the author talk about a body I have prepared for you well the author knows that Jesus was, uh, you know, God the Son for eternity past, and God the Son wasn't a human being at first, you know, and but he needed a body, kind of like Cam was talking about earlier, uh, how the animals weren't uh, sac- those sacrifices weren't sufficing, but that a, a, a the body of a man was one that would suffice. So Jesus came in the form of a man to give of his body. And so the author's trying to almost take that bondservant idea, but deepen it to like a body you have prepared for me. Um, saying that he's willfully going in and taking on this body. And then it, what does it also say following that? That, uh, see, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the volume of the book. I mean, that sounds just like the garden of Gethsemane. I think it's Gethsemane that he's praying in and he's basically says like I do not want to go through with this like I'm terrified but not my will but your will be done father so it's really interesting I could go down a deep path of some things that I'm trying to learn about like with inspiration you know so a lot of people talk about like the when the bible writers were writing the bible how inspiration, the idea of inspiration would be that the Holy Spirit was like dictating every word to them and like telling them exactly what to write. And that's what I grew up thinking with like the Bible. Um, and I still think there's part of that that might be true. I don't know. I'm just sharing this because I'm, I'm growing in this. Um, 
I think that the the Holy Spirit uses people and allows people to use their gifts and talents to effectively communicate the gospel. You know, when we read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, most of them are not telling of the exact same things going on. And some would say, oh, well, that means that they're contradicting, you know, they co- contradicting one another. So how can you trust them? But actually, um, it's kind of like if... Uh, <clears throat> If there was a car wreck right out here at this intersection and there are four witnesses and all the witnesses just gave the exact same story, you would actually probably assume, as a police officer, you would assume that they all got together and talked because not everyone has the same perspective. You would assume that they came up with this idea and were, you know, uh, plotting something different, like... But through having four different testimonies, what a police officer will do will piece together what exactly happened using all four. Right. And so that's the strength of the Bible is that the Holy Spirit uses people, uses all these different perspectives and different things to testify the same thing. And so uh, it's not necessarily that the Holy Spirit sits down and dictates every single word because if he did, then why do the Gospels all look different? That's, he's not doing that. He's allowing people. He's, he's using their life lived and their perspective to write a story that weaves together. And anything that's woven really well is strong. Does that make sense? I, think, I will say, I think he still could have dictated the different perspectives to them. I don't know that he necessarily yeah. did. I, I don't know. I will say I grew up also thinking the same thing that the yeah. Holy Spirit was like, all right, now you write I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, but I, I don't know that that's necessarily yeah. the case. I've never really thought very much about it. But I will say I see the value in the different perspectives mm-hmm. of the Gospels relaying the same events right. but from a different perspective and to different audiences. Yeah. And so that's also really important to yeah. you in thinking the way that I may say something to y'all might be different than the way I'd say something to someone I just met on the street exactly. and I really don't know where they are Right. kind of thing. Right. And, and there's value in that. Yeah. So. Yeah. That. Yeah. And like I said, I, I don't know exactly where I stand because... Uh, like a couple people that I listened to this week, they were differing. And it caused me to go, what do I believe when it comes to inspiration? I've never really thought about it. But I really thought it was interesting. Uh, Just a challenge to my own belief of like how the Bible was dictated. I thought the Bible was just dictated word by word by word. But it's true. The New Testament, especially Paul, there's a lot of people that don't like Paul because Paul quotes the Old Testament a ton, but he always like doesn't quote it word for word, or he like adds in like a little phrase or a different little yeah. And you're like, so there's a lot of people that get mad about Paul doing that, and they would discredit Paul and discredit the New Testament. Those are biblical wonder, critics. I wonder how much of that is because Paul doesn't necessarily want to hear. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, too, Paul just is pointing out the heart of Scripture. And, you know, it. so I shared this with Mo last night. It reminds me of prophecy. You know, when we practice prophesying over people. And 
I grew up in churches where people practice prophecy by saying, Thus saith the Lord, every word that I speak coming out of my mouth is like the word of the Lord, because the Spirit's come on me. And I don't believe that. I think the Holy Spirit does speak to us and give us prophetic words, but I think what happens more often than not is that he's, he gives us a heart of something. So like, say I'm praying for um, Gabby, and something the Lord moves on my heart is like, man, she just needs to know she's loved. And then, like, gives me a picture. Well, now I'm sharing the picture that I get from the Lord. It's not like he dictated everything to me. He just showed me a picture, a shadow, if you will. And now I'm filling it in, and he's trusting me with the word. And it's not like now my word's on the same level of Jesus. But because I have a heart that's tied to him, uh, I'm sharing the heart. And whether my words are God straight up or not, the Holy Spirit can still move through the heart of what was shared. Yeah, it's not to say he couldn't tell you exactly what to say every word or speak through you. It's just more often than not, you won't get those exact words. Well, for some people, what he does is he just reminds them of passages of Scripture. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always think about one of my favorite passages on prophecy, and this isn't like what we think of normally with prophecy, but when God created Adam in the garden and God brought all the animals to Adam and he said, okay, Name them. That, like, he gave Adam full permission to just give, say whatever word came out of his mouth. So Adam, I mean, I don't know if Adam was created with language or not. I can imagine Adam was just going, American Flurgan, bear, sheep, and, like, all these words that he didn't really, there was no name. These are random words. And God said, yeah, that's good. I like that. I'm going with that. Because they were in communion. They were in unity. They were in fellowship. So, all that being said, it just challenges our our idea of how the Bible was given to us. Also, I Uh have a thought of like the misquoting kind of thing or whatever. It's like I think about nowadays when people write various books on topics or whatever. You can directly quote or you can paraphrase. But regardless of which one you do, you would still that wherever you're paraphrasing from or directly quoting from would be in your bibliography. Yeah. And it doesn't make it wrong <laughs> right. just because you chose to paraphrase as opposed to doing word for word. Yeah. And particularly with this, it's not like the uh, kind of like spirit or the content necessarily of what's being said yeah. is altogether different than what he's quoting from. Right. To me, that doesn't... I don't know what the critique, what the critique there would be for that. I'm just thinking, I, sorry, I'm just thinking. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, I just don't even think Paul's misquoting scripture. Mm-hmm. I, it's an, to people who don't understand the heart of the gospel and they study the Bible through a worldly lens, those are the people that are critics of Paul. And they're going to say, oh, well, this doesn't match up word for word with this. But those who are reading the Bible with the help of the Holy Spirit, like us, when we read the word... We're going to go, huh, that's really weird. Why doesn't that match up? And then when we study it, we're going to go, oh, that makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. So going from Psalms to this passage, it's not just an ear you've opened for me, but now a body you've prepared for me. Mm -hmm. Like, it's the same idea of giving my life to you. Like, I'm willfully entering into service to you, but it's just, it's a different phrasing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And using a body rather than just the ear. So, cool. Lots of fun stuff there.
Okay. Previously, he said he did not desire sacrifices and offerings. You had no pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, which are offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, See, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. And by this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's verses uh, 9 and 10. What stands out to you with those two verses? This is just, to me, it's just plain language that a lot of people, I think, read over. And he's saying straight up, he takes away the first that he may establish the second. He takes away the inferior so that he may set in place the, uh, the better thing. And this is where I have a hard time with people who are like... There are some people that are extreme, like, Hebrew roots people. And I love Hebrew roots. Like, actually, me and Ron Webster have done a lot of, like, research into our Hebrew roots and understanding, like, a lot of the Jewish feasts and festivals and stuff like that. It's stuff I love. The point is, those things were part of the inferior, and Christ is the better. So it's not that... Here, here's where I'll it's not that those things are bad they're just a shadow but if it helps your walk with the Lord by practicing those things and doing those things you should do it like if it encourages you you should do it but if it makes you feel like God's going to love you more or God's going to treasure you more because now you're doing something that nobody else is doing it's a really big trap I think right now for Christians because I think a lot of us Christians are trying to move back to more traditional means of church and it's not that i think we can just miss the the point that jesus is better Mm -hmm. jesus is the greater portion and if we're practicing feasts but leaving jesus out of the feast then you're doing it wrong or if you're please don't be giving up sacrifice like when we talked about the sacrifices for worship today Mm -hmm. and i i think i said something that i want to make sure that i say what I meant to say because uh, sometimes I get tongue-tied but that verse where David's like um, I will not give anything that doesn't require something of me that doesn't cost me something and I, I, I can't remember if I said imagine how much happier God will be I think I did and so I want to go back on that and say God's not going to be happier with you if you give him more but what that verse to me is showing is that it's gratitude to him mm-hmm. Like, the true heart of a Christian that's a mature Christian is not that they have stopped sinning and they have no more sin issue and all they've, they've become perfect. That's not it. It's the picture of a Christian who's uh, thankful and grateful. And so their life lived starts to reflect uh, what Christ looks like. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I hope, I, hope that makes sense. That covers that. So, verse 11 through 18. Uh, Every priest stands daily ministering and repetitive, repetitively offering the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. 
But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he's been waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one offering, he has forever perfected those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also witnesses to us about this. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, and I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds will I remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness, forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. What stands out to y'all there? Jesus sits down. Yes. That was a nice, fun one, because the Old Testament, we've read this, but in the Old Testament tabernacle, there was no chairs. Nope. There's tables, there was altars, there's all these things. There's no chairs because there was no chance for them to sit down. Because the work was never done. Yeah, yeah. Like the need to sacrifice. It's like working for Amazon. The work was never done. But then for Christ, it's like the finished work yeah. of Christ. Yep. And that he did it. He did the sacrifice. And it was truly once for all. So much so that he can sit down because yeah. that his work of sacrificing as the high priest is done. It's finished. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What else stands out to y'all there? Verse 14, for by one offering he has forever perfected those who are sanctified. What do you think that means? It's okay. But, and you don't have to have the right answer. By one offering, Jesus' body on the cross, he has forever what? Perfected, made perfect, complete. Those who are being sanctified. This is a common reference in the New Testament, where the in the epistles <coughs> talks about two different uh, positions that we have as Christians. One is our position with the Lord, like our. Uh, I'm trying to remember the word that I had for that. I had a word. I always get the words mixed up. But there's like a practical walk we have with the Lord and then just an overall like view that he has of us. So what Jesus' work did is it, it perfected us from the guilt of sin. We are it, it, not only did he cover the sins, but he took them away. Mm-hmm. That was the big difference between the Old Testament uh, sacrifices and Jesus' sacrifice. Old Testament sacrifice just covered it up. You were always reminded. You always knew you were sinful. You know, that was just out there. But when Jesus died, not only did he cover, he took it away so that you didn't have to pay for any of that debt that you owed. So then when it talks about those who are being sanctified, he's talking about us as Christians. We are on this constant walk of sanctification. And 
if you read James, it's not a sanctification that we do on our own, but it's the like the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, I think James call, calls it the continual washing of the Word will uh, sanctify you. And so it's this idea that because I believe in who God says that I am, my walk begins to, like I said earlier, I begin to show gratitude because God sees me as perfect. He sees me through the lens of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so now, oh, did he just spit up on that? Yes. So God sees us. God the Father sees us through the sacrifice of Jesus and no longer just by like what our sins are. He sees past that because Jesus is death has taken all that away so now he can look at us that verse uh, if we keep going in this one it's quoting verse 16 and 17 the writer is quoting Jeremiah 31 which we've read a couple times and this is the Old Testament prophecy of the new covenant Jeremiah says uh, I will make with them after those days a covenant uh, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. So no longer is the law lingering over your head and over a nation, but now it's written on people's hearts. Now it's written on their minds. And then he says, this, this is probably the hardest one for us to understand. I think we understand what it says, but we don't understand it in practice. Their sins and lawless deeds will I remember no more. Done. Gone away with so, the sins you've committed, even today, God has forgotten. Yes. Once and for all. Which, if I could tangent real quick, uh-huh. is Go why ahead. we don't need to pray the blood. Why we don't need to plead the blood of Jesus. It's been done once for all. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Who all has a hard time believing that God forgets your sin? <laughs> yeah. It's a weird thing of like Jesus' blood is some kind of pair of sunglasses that God yeah. just puts on forever when he looks at you. Yeah. Yeah. I've, like I've, I've seen those flyers. The, the sunglasses. S O N. You remember those? You remember those old things where you'd like have the the blue and the red? Yeah, yeah. You'd look at the thing and it would take away the blue and the red, so you'd right. be able to see what was there. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. They gave us those in elementary school and told us they were invisibility sunglasses. Yeah. That could read invisible ink. Yeah. It was really just. Yeah. 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 The only hard part with that analogy is God doesn't need sunglasses to look no. at you. He just takes it's all gone. So. It's, just, it's more of a helpful thing for us. Uh, yeah. I have a hard time yeah. understanding. I'm being that. smart. Were you I was going to say if we let God's love freely flow through us, we can also supernaturally forget the sins that people have committed against yeah. us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that's the character of our Father, then that's the character we want to show. True. Yeah. Because there's and, a lot of people that are like, forgive, but never forget <clears throat> because they'll wrong you again. Yeah. That's not the heart of God, because He's like, literally, I moved your sin as far as the east is from the west. Yeah. I don't remember it. Why are you remembering it? <coughs> so when I hold stuff against people, I'm like, 
I, I love that song. Because when you look at it and you're like, well, you could do north and south, but eventually you go far enough north, you start going south again. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that somebody, the song is just new, like, you can always go east, you can always go west, and yeah. it never becomes the other. Yeah. 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 The uh, thing I think of when you were talking about that, Mo, was, uh, I think it's Matthew 7, but talks about uh, with what measure you forgive or show mercy. <laughs> mercy or forgiveness will be shown to you. And so, like, Jesus is like, okay, Mike, you want to be the judge? Here you go. But, whatever you do to somebody else, that's the standard you'll be held to. It's Mm -hmm. like, ugh, dang. And that's why when it talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, just as you and then love your neighbor as you love yourself, that's why that order is so specific. If you don't love the Lord first and understand his love for you, then you can't have love for yourself, which means you can't have forgiveness for yourself because you don't think God forgives you. And then if you don't believe God forgives you and you can't forgive yourself, then how are you supposed to forgive anybody else? What is interesting, though, is there's no mention, actually, of loving yourself. We don't have any any trouble usually doing that. Mm, I do. Yeah, well, yeah. I disagree. <laughs> versus versus loving somebody else, though. I feel like it's easier no, to I think be, I think it's easy to be selfish and maybe to be self-centered. I think that's more easy than actually loving yourself because right. being selfish and self-centered is not actual love towards yourself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and self-love is very twisted in our day and age. We have to be careful because self-love is not oh, I'm going to take this rest day because I need to rest. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to lock myself up in my room and do all this stuff that, you know, isn't really adding to my life. You know what I mean? Or like, I've seen a lot of people where self-love is turned into, I can't hang out with anybody. You're too much for me. Like, I got to take care of me right now. And it's... That is not, that's a perverted sense of self-love. That ain't it, chief. Yeah, that ain't it, chief. You know, like, self-love is understanding how much God loves you, and that will energize you to love other people. So if your self-love is leading you to not love people, then something's wrong with your self-love. Because it goes directly against scripture. Good word. Are you out? Good job. Toodles. Love you, man. Love you. Have a good rest of your day. Bye, Uncle Cam. Bye, Uncle Cam. Cool. Does that feel good? No. (laughs) Yeah. Do you disagree with it? No. No, No, we just like had a conversation about this like yesterday. Look, I... I've fallen into it a lot. Yeah. And that's why I have good language for it. It's very relatable. It's almost like every time we come to the Barton's house, you hear exactly what you need to hear. It's almost like that. It's almost like that. Nice. It do be sometimes like that. It do be like that sometimes. (laughs) All right, let's keep going. So, that's all of uh, the first half of chapter 10. Now we're moving into the practical applications. The, The writer has just spent... A long, long time explaining the theology of uh, what Jesus has accomplished and what God's ultimate plan is. 
in regards to us. And so now we're going to go through these next verses to understand more. Cool? Let's do verse 19 through 25. It says, Therefore, brothers, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he has opened for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse them from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us firmly hold the profession of our faith without wavering. For he who... Oh, wait. Where did I... For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to spur one another on to love and to good works. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but let us exhort one another, especially as you see the day approaching. So, what stands out to y'all there? I just knew what it was. Yeah. I think the uh, part that I remember that sticks out is like uh, exhorting one another as the day approaches. Like it's so much more of a call for us to be in actual fellowship and community and to encourage and build up one another. Yeah. As the world keeps turning and yeah, yeah. going further from the Lord, but as He's getting closer to returning. Like, the world is in shambles now. Think right. of what it's going to be like when he's coming. Yeah. 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 I mean, it talks a lot about that. And so it's like, we need to be there for one another. We need to be closer together yeah. the sooner he comes back. Or like, yeah. as he's coming back. As he's coming back. Yeah, it talks about do not forsake the assembling together. And I've heard a lot of pastors use that in a way to say, you got to be at church every week, you know, or a way to boost church attendance. Yeah. And nowhere in that passage of scripture does it talk about the ecclesia or the church. It's talking about assembling, koinonia, being one with one another, having community with one another. Yeah. So it's way more than that. Like it's not less than going to church. It's way more. It's more like you being with people who are believers, who you're consistently with, being a part of the body. Not just because you go to the temple on Sunday or Saturday whenever you decide to go, like for your two, three hours. I mean, the, the whole Jewish like mindset was so legalistic, you know? And so why would the writer of Hebrews go back to legalism of like, you have to be at church all the time? That just makes no sense. Right. So he's saying, like, assemble together. Be a fellowship, koinonia, like share life with one another. Which also kind of like references back to the chapter that I taught. I uh-huh. don't remember if it was four it or five or six. whatever. Six, you know. <laughs> but like about not growing weary, mm-hmm. not giving up, not growing passive in your faith. And yeah. a lot of times you need other people to help you in that. Yes. Oh, yeah. And yes. to do that for other people too. Yes. Like iron sharpens iron, so. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they even like call you out when you are being lackadaisical. Right. Yeah. But if you're not close with anyone, no one will ever know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and if we don't build communities where we can come together outside of just a normal church service, <clears throat> we'll never go deeper. It'll always be surface. Mm-hmm. You know, like Sundays, we do, we barely have time to get through worship and teaching and testimonies, and like 
So if you're expecting that when you come to church on Sunday to have deep conversation where you can be fully understood and understand somebody else fully, more than likely it's not going to happen. Yeah. But that's why we have to hang out outside of this stuff. Right. And we all live lead busy lives. Uh, we really do. But where are our priorities? Yeah. And that's, that's the challenging thing. What is your priority? Is your priority busyness? Or is your priority being part of the body? I think something I can, I'm trying to do better at is like I have set aside time for people, but I think part of what friendship looks like is having people join you in like normal things. Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. That's not something I'm very good at, honestly. Yep. Really? Like I want to, that's something I'm recognizing because I'm like, I feel drained at the end of hanging out with people, but it's just because I'm sitting there and talking. Not mm-hmm. every time, but like. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just sitting and talking for three to four hours, and that's just a lot of... It took me a really long time to get to the point where I had, like, people that I was comfortable enough with to do, like, normal things with. Like, Emma is a great example, Mm -hmm. literally just, like, run errands with me, or she has, like, the evening off and Micah's busy. She'll come over and just hang out with me and the baby. And it's just, like, (laughs) we don't even have to talk. It's just being in each other's presence and just spending time together and just being like, how are you doing? Like, where are you at right now? Right. And I feel like it's even more important to, like, you know, figure, like, that out with yourself because everybody's wired differently. Yeah. It took me having her to realize that I needed people like that in my life. Yeah. Yes. I'm recognizing it. And it's hard because, you know, especially when you're a mom and you have a, a toddler who could be a ticking time bomb at any moment uh, sometimes you want to go into performance mode yeah, yeah. and you're just kind of like oh this is embarrassing like she's yeah. having a meltdown i'm yeah. so sorry but it's just kind of like no i'm a mom <coughs> she is a child this is what she's gonna do yeah. mm-hmm. it is what it is we hang out anyway yeah yeah mm-hmm. so Kim yeah. and i are reading the emotionally healthy spirituality uh-huh. book, mm-hmm. and he gives some examples about how he like compromised his own emotional <laughs> health and well-being um to try to like look good on the yeah. outside. And I think that I'm recognizing that's what I've done a lot of times. I'm not saying there's not a, like there is a lot of times when I just need to have a good heart to heart with someone. Yeah. Or be there for them or they there for me. I love those times. But it's when I do it every time, multiple times a week where I'm like, okay. But I'm not really living my life. Like, yeah. I can do laundry while people are over. I can ask for help with laundry. Yeah, absolutely. We can go to the store. I can cook dinner. We, we can, can go you know, for walks together. Yeah. Like stuff like that. I don't know why it seems so, like, basic, but it is hard for me to do. Yeah. It was hard, it was hard for me like... for a while, too. It actually took, like, Emma and Micah and Rabia and Jiggy, like, actually, like, pushing themselves in and just yeah. being like, you know you don't have to do things alone all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Time I listen. <laughs> do you do it? Yeah. Yeah. I think the culture I grew up in was very much what I've been doing. Sure. Like you're very put together and yeah. intentionality every time. Yeah, same. I, I like grew up in a house where it's just kind of like, oh, you're going to hang out with someone? All right, performance mode. Yeah, yeah. Clean up the house, nothing can be dirty, yeah. and you're literally supposed to just sit there and talk to each other yeah, the yeah. entire time. And I'm like, that's exhausting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we are too serious. I used to have friends growing up where I would just go to their house. I had no idea what we were going to do. And we just figured it out, and it was usually stupid stuff. Yeah. Like, it was, yeah, let's just walk down the creek for <laughs> three, four miles. Yeah. <laughs> I did that one time. Magnifying glass. Oh, my just God. But especially as adults, I think we forget how to have, like, fun or just be normal. Yeah. 
Yeah. Be normal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you don't have... <laughs> a lot of people have worldly friends where they don't sit down with their worldly friends and just talk. Yeah. They are like, let's go hang out. Let's go do something. I have a lot of friends that all they want to go out and do is go to a bar and have, like, a beer, go play, like, at the barcade and, and stuff like that. Not right, yeah. <laughs> but, like... Staying home and eating popcorn. And you feel close with those people. Yeah. And then, But why do we treat, like, our Christian friends like we need to have sit-down conversation? We need to discuss the word. Bro, we need to chill. We need to loosen Literally. up. Literally. Like... And do life. And do life. Yeah. Life sometimes looks like doing laundry while your friend is over. Yeah. And I don't know, you're yeah. still just chatting anyway or not or whatever. And it doesn't yeah. have to be some crazy thing every time. That's Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I was it's... just thinking about this yesterday because I went over to mom and dad's house and dad was working on his Jeep and I just sat out there while he worked on his Jeep. I love Brian. And talked to him. And I was literally sitting there thinking like, it's so funny we're talking about this because yeah. I was like, they're... You know, you could have all these contrived, like, meetings with people, and it's, I know that I get drained by those sort of things, but, like, things like that, where, like, I just go in, and I'm like, yeah, keep working on your deep, we can just sit here and talk, yeah. and talk for, like, two hours. Yeah. Like, those, <clears throat> for me, those are the times that I find connection yeah. with people. The best. Yeah. 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 So, somebody read verse 24 for me. I would, but someone has taken my phone message. To the other hero. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So, <clears throat> the, the authors, you know, the, this whole portion, like I said, is the practical application. And in, in a way, the practical application is like, he's saying this is how to be a mature Christian. So he says, let, can, let us, so he's talking about himself as well as everyone else, consider. And that word consider means to study, to, like, observe, to fix your eyes upon one another. Man, this, I, when I was listening to this last night and, like, praying about today, I felt like this was the biggest prophetic word for our church, is, and I'm going to be like the author, say, let us, like, me too, me included, this isn't me pointing fingers, but... How often do we study one another? How often when somebody says something in the chat of like, I'm really low on, or I can't pay for this thing, do we just go, well, I can't either, so I'm just not going to talk. I'm not going to say anything. Or, uh, I can't really offer anything here, so I'm just not going to say anything. Or if someone's quiet for too long. Or if somebody's quiet for too long, we don't go out to them. You know, like... How often do we study one another? Mm. You know, we, we sing like lots of worship songs where it's like, I fix my eyes on you, Jesus. And yet he's saying, fix your eyes on one another too. Mm-hmm. Look out for one another. And <clears throat> it's that whole phrase of too, earth, too heavenly good to be, too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Mm-hmm. That's the phrase. We don't want to be that. We don't want to just say, oh yeah, brother, I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. I got my eyes fixed. Every morning I wake up, I spend my time with them, all this stuff. (coughs) And yet, there's so many people in your community who don't have their needs met, who don't feel seen, who need something. 
And whether it's money or what, it doesn't always have to be money. It doesn't always have to it be. It might not be a physical need. Yeah. Like maybe they are depressed and just need someone to eat them. Right. So that's my conviction is how often do we study one another? Yeah. We say we want to be a New Testament body, like a New Testament church and a community, like a koinonia. It, it, it costs us something. Mm-hmm. It's not free. It doesn't just happen, you know, because we brought some good food, you know, or we shared our home or something. It happens through intentionality and studying one another. Um, so I was really impacted by that. And that's might, an encouragement. Yeah, like it's an encouragement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, even the, the writer's saying, I don't yeah. get it all the time. Let us do this. Let yeah. us get, grow deeper in. Because that would be what full maturity is. What, what does Jesus do? Like, we read Philippians 2 all the time, where Jesus came not to just prove that he was king and came as a, you know, this awesome, mighty king. He came as a baby. He came as a servant. And instead of demanding people to serve him and follow him, he actually got down and washed their feet. Yeah. And so, like, full maturity for a Christian would look like, I'm not going to expect these people to just be one with me or be, like, enjoy company with me. I'm going to show them that I, I value them by serving, yeah. by laying my life down. It's a challenge to all of us, myself included. I mean, I'm still learning, and I want to grow deeper in this. How amazing and powerful would it be if we had a community that... Anytime somebody had a need, everybody was like, how can I lay my life down for you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even if they couldn't actually meet the need, they're yeah. still willing to say, I'd lay my life down for you. What I'm, I have, I give. What I have, I give. Money, I have not. Yeah. <laughs> love, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rich in love. It's Rich funny that we're love. talking about this, because this is something that has just been, like... On the... Uh, yeah. Mental. Week. Cool. Like, even... Like, this week, John John reached out to me a couple days ago, just be like, hey, is there anything I can pray for you on or whatever? Yeah. And I was thinking about how, so, like, I don't know if other people are more like this than me, but I just don't think to reach out to people and ask them, like, what can I pray for you for? Yeah. Like, it's just, I expect, like, either you're going to come to me and tell me. Or I'll see you on Sunday. Yeah. Like, I don't think to, like, observe other people. I'm like, how can, what can I do to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's probably like 10.30. Yeah, I think it was like 10.30. It It is. One o'clock. Yeah, he could probably get down. Cool. Um, All right, let's go to the hard stuff. It's not going to be that hard. Verse 26. I'm going to read through 31. For if we willfully continue to sin after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who despised Moses' law died without mercy in the presence of two or three witnesses. How much more severe a punishment do you suppose he deserves who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded the blood of the covenant that sanctified him to be a common thing and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And again he says, The Lord will judge his people. 
It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I think maybe part of that is how um, all over scripture how he'll fight for us and um, his enemies will fall into his hands. Right. And so it's like I think maybe it just speaks to me of his power. Yeah. Yeah. He's not talking about his own people. He's talking about the enemies. Mm -hmm. What a fearful thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. All right, so what does 26 mean? For if we willfully continue to sin after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. I mean, it kind of feels like with the whole theme of Hebrews up until now, we've been looking a lot at the old covenant versus the new covenant, the old way of doing things versus the new way of doing things. And so this feels like if we were to go on sinning deliberately, which maybe that's what was happening in the old covenant, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but kind of how we slip from the new covenant into the old covenant. Like we are putting right. ourselves mm-hmm. under the old covenant and sure. under the law in the way that we don't need to be. Sure. That's right. That's, I mean, that's a great guess. Can I ask a question that might guide you mm-hmm. a little more? I think the sin he's talking about is not generally speaking of sin in general. It's a specific sin. And using the context of the book, what do you think that specific sin is? Lack of belief. Close. Keep going. Lack of belief in what? The resurrection. Which is? Of Christ being the Messiah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right there. I'm just wanting it to be a little more ironed out. Who's he talking to? The Jews. Who were gone. were Christians, but now are oh, what? And slide back into Judaism. Right. So why is he going through all this theology to show how much better Jesus is from the old covenant? Because they're rejecting the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ. That's it. That is the sin that this verse is talking about. For if we willfully continue to go back to the old covenant and reject the new covenant and receive the full knowledge. So, like I said, he's gone through all the, this is why he wrote out all that stuff. So now he's like, ha, you read it all. Now you've got the knowledge of the truth. (laughs) So you have no answer. But there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. The Old Testament sacrifices never did anything. The only sacrifice that could was Jesus. And if you don't believe in Jesus and what he did, then there no longer remains a sacrifice. So, that makes way more sense to me because what I've grown up being taught was if you have a habitual sin in your life and you can't knock it, then there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sin. And that would mean that I can lose my salvation through moral uh, bad behavior right but the quote we've shared every single week almost that which was gained or that which was not gained through moral perfection
cannot be lost through moral imperfection. Mm. Meaning, salvation doesn't come by you being good. It comes through Jesus' behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I can't lose the salvation that Christ gives me through me being bad. Because I didn't even get it through being good. See how flawed that thinking is? So that whole whole portion, he's just shouting out to these guys going back. Don't go back. Ariel, you were right when you were saying, when we sin, we go back and put ourselves subject to the law again. And like, that, it was a, a side path, but it's like the same thing. Like, don't go back to this Old Testament way of thinking. Like, if you're going through trials and sins and stuff like that, don't go back to like, I need to be punished. I need to be like, guilty. I need to feel like, condemned about like what I've done because I'm this terrible awful human like no should you feel conviction yes should you ask for the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin yes but conviction is not condemnation this sorry this works somewhere I don't remember where it's at but it talks about how conviction leads you to repentance and condemnation does not yeah. And so the point of conviction is not for anyone to feel condemned, yeah. but it's to lead them to repentance and then turning away from whatever they were doing to turn towards the Lord and experience yep. the freedom yep. that he has for them. Yep. To yeah. not be slave to the sin, to not right. be in bondage, but instead to be free. Yeah. Like that's the point of yeah. conviction. Yep. It's loving kindness. Is right. Yeah. To show you that you're missing it. So, yeah, and should we take this to say, oh, well, then I can just keep on sinning. As long as I believe, God forbid. (laughs) No, absolutely not. Like, that is not the point of this. The point was that now you no longer have to deal with the guilt. What the beginning of Hebrews 10 talks about the consciousness of sins, Mm -hmm. the, the overarching awareness that I'm full of sin. Jesus took it away. So now you don't have to look at yourself as sinful, wretched creature that I am. I've heard plenty of pastors talk that kind of mess. I'm a wretched, sinful creature. It's like you are putting, you're trampling underfoot what Christ has done. And there is fiery indignation for you, sir. (laughs) It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. So, like, that's the point. And it's a narrow road. Every, everything that the Bible teaches us with truth is a narrow road. There's going to be people off to the right and people off to the left. That's not a political jab. It's just, there's two sides. So you can go hyper grace and say, oh yeah, everything's covered so I can keep on sinning. La, la, la. And that's false. No. But you can also go to, I have to take care of all my sin and I have to fix this because... You know, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. No, not at all. Like, you're walking with Christ. He sanctifies you. He, you you know, your goal is to obey. Christ doesn't desire sacrifice. He rather would have obedience. That's what he desires. (coughs) Pretty sure there's a verse. Um, Right. It is verse 2. Yeah. I'm trying to remember where that's at. I think it's in Hebrews. Or maybe it's Jeremiah. That's also true. So, alright, let's read this last little portion. 
we got the hardest one out of the way, and that wasn't that bad. So, a lot easier than you would think. Remember the former days, this is verse 32, after you were enlightened, in which you endured a great struggle of afflictions, in part you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and afflictions, and in part you became companions of those who were so abused. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully endured the confiscation of your property, knowing that you have in heaven a better and an enduring possession for yourself. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which will be greatly rewarded. For you need patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise. For in yet a little while, he who is to come will come and will not wait. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the saving of the soul. This is where I love, I don't know, we don't know who wrote this book, but whoever it is is my kind of guy because he feels like a a coach. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, I I gave you the whole game plan, but now I'm just going to amp you up right here. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. And he's like, yeah, you were getting your butt kicked. People were persecuting you. They were stealing your stuff. They were making you look like a fool in public. And especially because you were helping out us. You were sharing love with us. But do not throw away your confidence because you know that you have a better like uh, inheritance, an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Don't throw away your confidence for you will be greatly rewarded. He's like, come on guys, keep pushing. Let's go, come on. Ten more. I don't, has anybody seen uh, Facing the Giants? Oh, yes, yeah, so long ago. <laughs> Caleb, <laughs> Caleb loves that movie, but... Does the, he really? Yes. Uh, ironically, so but... Ironically. When the... Uh, sarcastically? I don't know. <laughs> sarcastically, that's what I meant. No. It, it probably is. Yeah. Or both. Either way. <laughs> the, there's the part where the coach makes the middle linebacker, Brock... Makes him do the uh, the crawl all the way across 120 yards. Oh, wait, I've seen that. Yeah. And he's got a guy on his back holding, and he's he's like, don't touch that ground. Keep going. Keep going, Brock. Keep going. It hurts. I don't care. Keep going. And, like, I mean, it's corny. That movie's so corny. It's so corny. But that, to me, is what God's saying to these, these people. Keep going. You're enduring persecution. Let's go. You got 20 more yards. You're almost there. The inheritance is right there. Your prize is waiting for you. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't let up. Don't go back. Be confident. Be confident. Don't give it up. And if there's anything we can take away from this is that let's like let's keep moving forward in our faith. Let's not get stuck on our our sins and go backwards. Let's continue to grow glory to glory. Let's continue to grow in maturity of our relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense? Was there anything else that stood out to y'all in that last little passage? Just show it by faith. Yeah. We've already talked about that a lot. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like it's so like, iconic. The just shall live by faith. Yeah. The just shall live by faith. Feels like the chant of heaven. The just shall live by faith. Yeah. So, and this whole thing precedes what we'll talk about probably next week is Hebrews 11, which is the Hall of Faith, where it goes into detail about all these different people in the Bible. Let me tell you, there's some pretty messed up individuals. (laughs) 
that did some jacked up things. And yet, it's because they continue to believe that their names are written down in this book. Not because they were good, not because they did something amazing, you know. It was because they believed. And it was credited to them as righteousness. And so, <clears throat> I just, I think it's just really powerful to know that, like, what am I trying to say? For a long time, I've tried to fix my own self. Or I, I did try to fix my own self. I did a lot to try to fix all my sins and do all these things. And if only I had understood at that time what Jesus had done, how much freer I would have felt, even though I still had messed up things, to know that Christ loves me. It's really hard in our culture, too, because we live in cancel culture. You know, or just a culture where everybody's getting blocked or canceled or thrown off anything if you've done anything wrong ever. And God loves those people. So that just shows you even more so how corrupt our society is. Should there be justice? Yes. But justice doesn't mean you destroyed one person's life because they made one mistake forever. Justice is bringing that person to punishment and then moving them on, hopefully so that they become better from the punishment. Not punishment for punishment's sake. But that because of that, our culture being so strongly like that, I think we look at ourselves as, I can't make any mistakes. I can't say anything wrong. I can't do anything wrong. That is not the Lord. David slept with somebody's wife and then killed the husband on the way back from work. And, uh, <laughs> and he plotted the whole thing. There's no sacrifice for that in the Old Testament. Murder and adultery, but like literally, they, they didn't have sacrifices for that. So there was no covering of those sins. What was demanded was that they would die. And yet God made a way and showed mercy to David. But like, if that guy was here today, if we had a, a pastor who had committed adultery with another man's wife and killed him, what would we do? Stow down. Stow down. Don't ever give him a platform ever again. And Jesus told David, I'm going to come from your line, buddy. (laughs) You're going to give birth. Eventually, your line will give birth to the Son of God. So, obviously, there's a lot of nuance to all that stuff. So, I'm not saying just keep... Let everybody say it and we'll just figure it out. There's a lot more nuance to it. But, Overall, let us keep our confidence. Keep growing in the faith. Don't stop. Cool? And you can't lose your salvation unless you willfully give it away. That's, that's the other big thing. You cannot lose through moral imperfection that which was gained, not through moral perfection. All right, let's pray. Father God, we love you. We honor you for today. Thank you so much for uh, loving us, for teaching us. Jesus, we thank you for the finished work that you've done, that right now you ever live to make intercession for us. That, that's your job. You're seated beside the Father, but you're whispering right in his ear and praying for each one of us throughout whatever we're going through. You are our great high priest. You committed the 
uh, one sacrifice once and for all so that now uh, we can have boldness and faith to enter in to the holy place. Um, We have the same standing as the high priest in the Old Testament as well as being kings in this world. So we just, uh, we are so grateful for how loving and graceful you are to us. Um, I just pray that you would grow us in our own revelation. Help us to love one another as you love us. We honor you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you've been blessed by today's teaching. And as always, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. You have my heart open.